Rodgers almost going to fall for Martinez. Antonov trying to get there. Martinez finishes to give away the match. It's an absolute peach from the Paraguayan, Miguel Almiron. Atlanta United in just their second year of existence have won MLS Cup. Our final. Where do we even start? Do we start? Do we start here? We start with the Groundhog Day uh, montage of the alarm clock getting smashed because that's what it feels like right now for Atlanta United. I mean, it is absolutely brutal. They just seem to play well, although I think they definitely played a little bit less well this week than they have the last couple, but still decently, but just obviously very frustrating not getting these results. I mean, that was clearly on the voices and minds of everybody that we spoke to after the game. This was a good little metaphor to start the intro here. We we have all of the world's technology at our disposal, <laughs> and the way we chose to do the Groundhog Day bit was like through a phone hold up next to a mic really capturing the essence of five strike final (laughs) i feel like we could have gone in and done all the extra work to make that like super high fidelity and like you know and stereo sound nah going back to our roots nah going back to the roots going back to basically again a a metaphor for an atlanta night team that seems to have a lot of things it is its disposal uh but doesn't seem to maybe use them or want to use them in any way yeah joe patrick uh 2-1 loss to montreal uh that was bad what's not bad is the intro the intro was good thanks kurt castle on spotify and everywhere else you find music the song is chances it's not bad as the patreon patreon.com slash five strike final where we can watch a video of this game over again this week if you want to with me your, your friend jason jones <laughs> Just an, yeah, that's, an, that's exercise all in, an exercise in masochism. Um, I guess. Yeah. I guess, man. Well, look, I said this to Joe before the show, but this is going to be a very special edition of Five Strike Final. One of the very special ones where there are no jokes. We take things very, very seriously. And everything is just all together kind of sad and kind of bummed out because it's frustrating to feel like we have potentially started to roll the the giant stone up the mountain and it just immediately <laughs> fell back down as soon as we got any momentum right so not of quality performance not really anything i want to be positive about to be totally honest from that and i got the same sense from everyone else involved yesterday too mm, yeah and um yeah, it's a tough one because obviously Gonzalo Pineda was talking after the game about how he was just so frustrated because he felt like his team didn't deserve to lose that game. But at the same time, I, I understand where he's coming from. But at the same time, the frustration is obviously evident. And, and kind of what I was thinking after that game is at what point does this actually become was what at what point does it turn from? Staying optimistic, team is playing well, but you're not getting the results to when you just are not getting the results result after result it turns mm-hmm. into that vicious cycle of pessimism and losing confidence and sour attitude in the stands on the on the on the pitch you know all that stuff when does all that negativity start to kind of, mm-hmm. kind of come to fruition within this team i hope it doesn't happen but it's that's always a possibility when you have a stretch like this yeah again at some point you reach the spot where you are 
what you are. And that's just what it is. You can talk about luck. You can talk about missed opportunities all you want. But at some point, you get to the point where the results are who you are. And we're not quite there yet. This Atlanta United team, we are nine games in, right? We're a quarter of the way through the season at this point, you know? And there's not a whole lot to suggest that this team is going to be anything beyond the mid-level team we saw at the end of, of last season, right? And that's the biggest fear, I think, for a lot of folks is that this team is just going to be fine. And they're well, just going to be fine and they're not going to be able to hang with Really good teams, which yeah. to be fair, Montreal, really good team. Did Atlanta put up a performance that they should have against a really good team? No. Yeah. They didn't. Yeah. I mean, clearly what the stat shows, yeah, up to your point, Sam, up to this point in the season, Atlanta United has been, they are where, you know, they have been who they are in the standings right now, which is essentially like a, a pretty mediocre team. I think the big question is, will they have some sort of uh, a, a renaissance or, or a turnaround midseason that has them on an upward trajectory, especially at the end of the season going into the playoffs. I think that that's the big question for this team. And I think a lot of that hinges on obviously Joseph, how impactful will he be when he comes back? I think there's also open questions as to just how this attack is going to perform over the course of the season, because obviously they brought Luis Araujo back into the team for the first time since the opening day in the league, at least. And I think you could just see that there was not the cohesion there. Uh, and I thought that Luis himself was probably one of Atlanta's worst performers on the day. So I, I think there are some definitely some concerns. But yeah, as of right now, you just got to hope that they improve because they obviously are a team that that needs improvement if they want to be contenders. Yeah, right now, I'm just kind of looking through some of the expected goal stats that we like to pick out, right? They're sixth in the conference in expected goals. They are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ninth in expected goals allowed, right? And so their expected goal differential puts them right in the middle of the conference. And that sounds right to me, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. This is just a mid-team. It's a mid-team right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as much as like, I want to buy into the Sounders fantasy that, you know, I was putting out before the season even started. It's like, oh, this is going to be kind of Soundersy. It's still hard to see where the progress is coming from from last season, especially against quality teams. Last year, Atlanta United won one game. I guess the team that finished above the playoff line. I can see it being a little higher this year, mm-hmm. but what is that? two or three wins against playoff teams. Mm -hmm. It's just hard to see where it's going to come from. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And one thing that really stands out to me, especially when you compare this team to, you know, the the best Atlanta United teams we've seen, particularly that 2018 team was that year in particular home field advantage was a true advantage. It was really a fortress for Atlanta United. And I just never get the feeling that it's that way. It's almost like, I don't know if it's like a mythical thing that's kind of like been debunked or something, but um, teams I just don't think are like as scared of Atlanta coming coming into Mercedes Benz Stadium. Obviously, we're talking about a game that was not played at Mercedes Benz Stadium, but it's just something that struck me over the course of this season where it feels like they still feel like a certain amount of pressure to, to be getting results in front of their home fans, despite the fact that, you know, the home field advantage may not really be there for them like it was in those previous years. And when I talk about home field advantage, I'm not necessarily talking about like an atmosphere from the fans or anything like that. I'm just talking about like the players being comfortable on that pitch, feeling confident on that pitch and being able to take advantage of, you know, any, any 
any, you know, tendencies or you know things that they're accustomed to happening on their home field because it is a little bit unique in the setting that it's in the fact that it's a turf pitch i think there are some ways that they can take advantage but it doesn't certainly doesn't seem like they're super confident on it right now well i mean i I can raise that and go a little further i think i think perceptions of teams impact how teams set up how players react in certain situations right and i think yesterday was a pretty good example that as much as we want to believe teams are still frightened by Atlanta United going forward and in the final third, I think Montreal, especially once they got up, were very, very comfortable sitting back, absorbing pressure and, you know, mm-hmm. letting Atlanta run ragged for a little bit because they knew they had the pieces to one stymie this Atlanta United team, you know, especially when they you, you have a flat back five. Mm-hmm. back there making things very very difficult in the final third and then when you have depth that Atlanta United doesn't have coming off the bench to be quite frank and players like Joaquin Torres who ended up scoring once Kamal Miller murked a few dudes, just like went off yeah. just <laughs> just went off the, the, the left center back for CF Montreal put out a mixtape yesterday it was incredible and you bring on Kai Kamara as well who is an effective MLS player mm-hmm. right and Man, were you? <laughs> what did Atlanta United bring on? I guess in this case, I think it was was Jackson, who, in Jackson's defense, ended with the highest XG of any Atlanta United player yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. But it was like 0.3, and he kind of messed up the shot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, it's. I think it's not even just a home field advantage. I think it's a Atlanta United advantage that's completely dissipated, mm-hmm. a brand advantage yep. essentially. Yeah, right. You saw teams do it, and I kind of keep comparing this team to the last couple of years of LAFC, who were bad because that's who they became, right? Mm-hmm. They were what they were at some point, even if the numbers and other things just otherwise. Because teams realized this wasn't the same LAFC team. They realized that if they got forward and if they wreaked havoc, LAFC 1 didn't have the keepers to keep the ball out. 2, the defense was so cluttered and messed up that they were going to luck into a really critical chance if they just kept putting pressure on LAFC. It's kind of the reverse for Atlanta. They know they can absorb pressure. Teams know that they don't have to worry about much of anything necessarily if you set up right against the United team. Yeah. And, I, you know, again, thinking back to a a Tata Martino team, and I feel like what he what that team would have done in a game like yesterday, where, again, to be clear, Montreal had had was essentially forced into a flat back five based on Atlanta's kind of their their Atlanta had was dominant in this game in the build up in midfield that forced Montreal's set, set up to really uh, turn into a flat back 5 but what that did was it it really nullified Atlanta in terms of them being able to make runs into space and behind there, there just weren't those lanes available when you see teams train, especially, you know, we've seen it with Gonzalo uh, Pineda's team when, when we're able to watch training, um, you know, they attack in the, the five spaces of the field, the two wide spaces, the two half spaces in the middle. You want, all, you know, a player occupying each of those vertical columns when you go in. And when you go up against a team that's got the, you know, a, a play, a defensive player on the back line in each of those columns, I think you get that tendency to want to drift away from those defenders to toward the edge of the box, receive the ball at your feet. And that's why I think we just did not see the volume of shots from inside the box in this game yesterday, as we've seen previously, they just weren't able to drag those defenders out. And so then to go back to the Tata Martino, I feel like what Tata Martino's teams would have done is just 
just uh, you flood the wings and, and, and just start getting crosses in and make that defense just collapse more and more. Uh, and right now you just like with the personnel that you have on the field, Ronaldo Cisneros is not like a physical presence that's going to, you know, want service in the air from wide spaces. Atlanta United's, you know, players don't want to deliver service from wide spaces. They're wanting, they want to get more central and create and, and connect, to, you know, in the middle. So um, I think that there was just a tactical disadvantage that the team had yesterday. And, you know, credit to Wilfred Nancy's team for being able to, you know, nullify what Atlanta United wanted to do in the attack. And, you know, they're, they didn't have a ton going for them offensively, but they were still able to generate a ton of expected goals on the little amount of the ball that they had because they knew exactly what they wanted to do. They were very direct. They won set pieces and they took advantage of them. And teams have been taking advantage of set pieces against Atlanta United all season. It helps when your your center backs completely forget how to jump. We'll talk about more. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that more later in, in sports prime game time. Um, but I, again, the, the caveat with all this, right, is it is technically just one bad game. Tata Martino's teams had bad games on the road sure. against good yep. teams. Right. Yep. And Wilfred Nance is really good at this. See if Montreal has really good players. You know, uh, Ismail Kone, that midfield of Kone, uh, Wanyama and George Mihailovic is one of the best in the league. Right. Yeah. And, and then you have to deal with Ramel Kyoto. You have to deal with Joaquin Torres coming off the bench. That's not easy. Right. You're mm-hmm. just hoping for more from a team that we expect more from for good reason. I think they expect more mm-hmm. from themselves for very good reason. Right. And that's where the frustration is. I would say if you want a silver lining from this game on the positive end, it's that I actually think Atlanta United kind of controlled this game much, much better than they did in the home match where Montreal scored three goals against Atlanta United Mm -hmm. and Mercedes-Benz Stadium and really dominated for much of the first half in that game. So I guess there's one silver lining. And it's funny, like you got a point in that one and you didn't get obviously anything from your efforts on Saturday here. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's still just frustrating with the way that this team is kind of trending it's almost like you know what to expect uh what the results going to kind of feel like going into going into a game yeah and that's the fear right that you get somewhat Mm -hmm. apathetic about it and we have a few questions about that Mm -hmm. and the final segment of the show which is going to be a a kind of a long extended question segment because you guys had a lot of them and none of them were funny lighten up guys (laughs) good lord Let's let's uh let's pepper some jokes in there from time to time. A little serious on that end. Uh yeah, we'll, we'll get to it in a little bit, but first we have a few things to address and a quick business time. Yeah. Business time, Joe Patrick, and a quick hit to kind of get at and maybe remember a guy right quick who technically still has some kind of contract that Lanny United, I guess, is how that works. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sekiel Barco scored twice this week, uh, once in, in Champions League. Is that right? Uh, and uh, in Le- Copa Libertadores. Copa Libertadores. Okay, so you're saying. Um, <laughs> the other CL. I was like, what is, what is that? I was like, oh, <laughs> in the show oh notes. right, right. I can't, yeah. can't read. Yeah. Um, and once in league play as well. And then which, once you in, know what? in league play when, where River won seven to nothing. So, <laughs> but but the <laughs> but the, the goal that he scored in uh, Copa Libertadores against Colo Colo was a fantastic goal. So good for him. Good but work, I'm, Zeke. I'm here. I've been talking out. to Felipe though, and apparently he he's just kind of very similar like player. And uh, yeah, I mean he's apparently he's like. Um, a big star in that team. It's a big deal if he's like not in the starting 11 or whatnot, but still has some of the same issues, you know, but he does seem to be scoring at a little bit better rate. So 
we'll see what happens with him. But just worth keeping track on since he is still, like you said, kind of on Atlanta's books, technically. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Pay us, River. Pay us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we need the money because we may be sending it towards Mallorca. There was a quick thing, and we got to touch on this right quick because I thought it was kind of funny. Jonathan Spector, we, we talked about this last week. He went out to take a take a look at Matthew Hoppy in, in a game. He didn't play, right? And then, I, I as I'm saying this, I'm realizing I don't know how to pronounce the name of this outlet. Quotation marks. I understand it's a little bit of a tabloid. Uh, Marca or is it Marsa? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marca. Uh, I don't. I think I have. I've always pronounced it Marca in my head. I don't yeah, know. I think it's Marca. That sounds right to me. Right. Uh, reported that John Inspector not only didn't get to see him play in a game, he also didn't get to see a practice. So theoretically, like if that were the case, he would have just gone over there and not seen anything. Right. Which could be true still. We don't know either way on that. But in the replies to that report was a dude literally just from Nashville who said he was just driving through town on like a, a weekend abroad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just stopped and started watching practice and it was like an open practice and everyone uh, was just sitting there watching Matthew Hoppy right so if Jonathan Spector didn't get to see anything I'd be really surprised <laughs> uh, so yeah he probably at least like talked to him or I'm, something right I'm, he didn't just I'm, go over there for nothing yeah. Marka I'm envisioning JP from Angels in the Outfield you better have tickets for that tree <laughs> <laughs> John Specker is camped out in a tree with his binoculars mm-hmm. watching my orca training yeah we could use some angels in the in the not Phil Joe I know I was, I was actually looking for the see if I could pull up uh you know on the sound effects board aka my phone going <laughs> into the phone. microphone <laughs> that that little sound bite but uh, uh we do have an angel between the sticks now Jeff Patrick he's back <laughs> Rocco well Rios Novo well done. thank you uh is is back officially now i think we talked about we talked that about it yeah. last week and we're, yeah. we were totally like not low-key about it at all just <laughs> assumed it was done because it was mm-hmm. right yeah. and yeah it's back officially no, it's done, done the bench. that's good mm-hmm. to know mm-hmm. um other news uh ozzy alonso brett kazan del castanera all added to the season ending injury list joe you have some roster rules pulled up here uh, you want to explain that right quick for the people. I shall read said roster rules, Sam. A club may replace an injured player that is on the season ending injury list with a new replacement player in accordance with the parameters below. So this has obviously been the, the big talking point with the season ending injury list, which is like, what does this get Atlanta United? Um, and so here it is. The club will be responsible for the injured players full salary budget charge. So we know that like they're not going to get any money for it, but team clubs may execute a trade to create salary budget space. So that's one thing Atlanta United could do, which you cannot do in any other circumstance. But in, if you have season ending injury, ending injury players, you can actually just trade for budget space, not even necessarily allocation money but just but but you can just trade for for money that goes on the budget so that's something they could do uh, but as for the players that you can bring in here are the parameters um well first of all the injured player must have been earning a hundred thousand dollars per year which is an interesting one because i think brad guzan might be the only one of the three that even fits that clause alone i mean i think a lot of people were wondering how many players they could potentially bring in since you have three players going on the on the list but uh, Ozzy Alonso was on the senior minimum, and I'm not sure if that is over $100,000 or not. So um, we obviously don't know technically because the salary guide isn't out. So but that's one thing to watch out for. 
The injured player must have suffered the season-ending injury before the primary transfer window. Check. The primary, the replacement player may earn up to $250,000, but not more than the player who suffered the season-ending injury. So with Guzan, you're looking at a player who can earn up to two hundred fifty, because we know Guzan was over that. Mm-hmm. The replacement player's budget charge will be billed back to the club. Okay. But here's the key one. Clubs will be will only be allowed to sign one such replacement player per MLS league season. So it se- that clause seems to me like you can only get one of these replacement players. Yeah, no, I think that's right. So per, uh, at least a new player that you sign. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but the reason that this is really all of no is because the primary, you have to also replace that player by the end of the primary transfer window, which is on May 4th. That is uh, <laughs> what in on Wednesday. Monday's the second, yes. Tuesday's the third, Wednesday's the fourth. Yes, yep. Right. So yep. May, so Wednesday, May 4th, that would, that would be when the player has to come in. So we'll get a resolution to this. Sooner, sooner rather than later. Uh, and on, on this, it's just worth noting. I don't know if the Rocco's Rios Novo thing kind of throws this out the window, but Tom Boger had reported uh, like last week or a couple weeks ago that Atlanta United was interested in a goalkeeper named Josh Cohen, who is an American, uh, but he's, he's American Israeli and playing in the uh, the Israeli league. I'm not sure what it's called. And he was named footballer of the year of the league last year. So apparently a pretty good goalkeeper, but Again, not yeah. sure how he figures in with Rocco Rios Novos, obviously coming back on loan. Yeah, if y'all were wondering like why they would even know who that is, right? Like I was, uh, he played in the USL Championship for a little bit for Sacramento, Phoenix, Orange County. So they may have been keeping tabs on him, but I think you're right, Joe. I think Rocco kind of cancels mm-hmm. all that out. There's there's no, I, I would highly doubt they bring in another keeper. Mm-hmm. It is my thought at yeah. this point. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, they, they did kind of need two, but they have already got, you, Justin Garces is a, already on a homegrown player deal, so I think he could just be technically recalled from his Atlanta United two loan, and that would pretty much that's fine for the third string yeah. keeper, you know. So, <laughs> I mean, that's a little dangerous to Atlanta United's history with third string keepers having to put in the games, but <laughs> yeah. you know what? I, I think Garces would be fine in that role. Uh, I think worst we'll be case fine scenario, in this he role. gets he gets another trailer uh, f- facility named after him if if things go poorly, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's in reference to the Alexander memorial yeah. uh media trailer by the way of course right <laughs> of course everyone knew everyone knew uh everyone knows that right now patrick we're gonna slog our way through sports prime game time oh boy 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 <laughs> the mets are good apparently yeah, I man. Have the Mets on the TV? They seem good. They're yeah. First, that's trash. Yeah. Oh crap! Nick Castellanos is about to hit. What terrible thing is about to happen? <laughs> Sports prime game time. There's a drive. Actually. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's a deep drive to the left, and Joaquin Torres scores. Thanks for mm. for listening, guys. Sports prime game time. <laughs> I'm I'm really scared to say anything while Castellanos is hitting. I'm not joking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he struck out. We're good. We'll move on to to other disasters. Uh, man, two one final XG on this one. One point nine XG for Montreal. Point seven for Atlanta United. That's right in the dreaded Gabby zone of mm-hmm. XG, where everything just feels miserable and sad. They did put up twelve shots in this one. Atlanta did, but I posted the shot chart at halftime and just kind of like said, "Hey, Atlanta, what if you tried getting closer?" Yeah, because. 90% of them were pot shots from even beyond 25 yards. I think it was not the point. shot chart from the Miami game. Very different shots. Very, very different. Uh, Only different six teams. shots from inside the box for Atlanta. Right. 
Um, and there's a few things to talk about with that, right? Like the differences between Miami and even Cincinnati, where Atlanta generated a lot of chances in this game. First and foremost, you're playing a better team, right? But that does kind of need to be taken mm-hmm. into account here. Uh, secondly, you get a team that scored early. They scored four minutes in, all right? And that changed the chemistry of pretty much everything. But like I said, they were very comfortable in setting up to absorb pressure and anything else that Atlanta was throwing at them. And they essentially, you know, they cut off zone 14, right? Atlanta just couldn't get the ball in zone 14. It's that area uh, right around the arc of the penalty box that generates a lot of chances statistically where teams really try to work their way to. Uh, they shut off a lot of the primary assist zones, the spots on the edge, the the two outer thirds of the 18 yard box where a lot of Atlanta's uh, attacking movements try to get the ball to because it generates chances at a high level. They shut those things off and Atlanta yeah. couldn't generate those. And it was easy because they had that one goal advantage and they had that one goal advantage because seriously, do the center backs know like they have to jump to jump, right? This- yeah, this it's really this, weird. Th- this issue seems particularly bad whenever Alan Franco is in the team, mm-hmm. uh, which is worth noting. And it's unfortunate because I actually thought he was honestly pretty excellent outside of that. Like when the ball was on the ground, <laughs> I think he had uh, 12 ball recoveries. He was, you know, had a lot of like really nice passing out of the back. All that stuff was really good. But unfortunately, if you're a center back and you can't defend some of these balls coming in, and I'm not saying that, you know, they were necessarily his fault, but I'm just saying that in general, no matter how much good you do in midfield and in buildup and uh, all that stuff, if you, you know, make simple mistakes and allow relatively simple goals to beat you, then, well, you're going to get beat. You know, if you're just conceding easy goals, Uh, it's, I think it's worth noting while we're talking about expected goals that Atlanta actually, bested Montreal in expected goals from open play in this game just barely I mean both teams had just right around half a goal uh it was 0.55 for Atlanta and 0.49 for Montreal and that and so that just really goes to show um you know how much dominance Montreal was finding in set piece play which has obviously been a huge issue for Atlanta United um I think on the broadcast they were you know mentioning I think it was uh, Kevin Egan who said they were like one of the smallest teams or maybe the smallest team shortest team uh, in MLS obviously they certainly do have a lot of short guys out there but still I mean you got to find ways to deal with that I mean all all teams have struggled you know there's always there's a shortest team in every <laughs> uh, league and you just got to find mm-hmm. a way to you know avoid giving up some of these goals but it's really unfortunate yeah, I pulled up the numbers right quick while we were talking about it uh, because Atlanta United has struggled on crosses this year. It, yeah. It's just kind of been that from the eye test and looking at it now. Uh, they've given up the second most goals in the league off crosses. Wow. The worst team is inner Miami. And then there's like a three way tie for second between Portland, Toronto, Atlanta United, Portland, and Toronto, and inner Miami, all very bad at defense. Hmm. You know, how, and, how many does it say how many goals they've allowed on yes, crosses? Four. four? Yeah. Inter Miami is allowed seven, <laughs> um, <laughs> and then wow. you know there's a a, a dec- inter- incremental decrease the rest of the way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's not great to be grouped with Toronto, Portland, Inter Miami right now. Um, if we go to expected goals for that, it doesn't necessarily improved. You just got grouped with Charlotte, Toronto, Portland, Cincy, and Miami, right? Um, mm-hmm. So not ideal uh, i mean that's nearly 25 percent of all of atlanta's goals they've conceded this year they've conceded 13 so that's 25 I mean, significant. it doesn't well. sound like no. a lot but it is a significant amount not good 
not good. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know what to do on that one. I, I do that joke about <laughs> like you can can't teach do? tall, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but uh, you know what? Uh, don't know what to do. <laughs> don't know what to do. Gonna be honest. Don't know what to do. Oh, it gets worse for set pieces if we change like yeah, I bet yeah crosses. Uh, so Atlanta is fourth worst in the league, along with Inner Miami, Toronto, and Cincinnati. So, uh, uh oh, <laughs> that's not good. Uh, no, it's not. Oops. Yeah, throw it on the pile. Yeah, throw it on the pile. Uh, I don't, there's not really. It's it's not easy to give an answer for like how you know how you fix these things or what you do. I mean, Gutman yesterday was saying it's like literally just mentality. It's like you just gotta be like, you know, this guy's not beating me, et cetera, et cetera, all that stuff. I guess that that's what it comes down to. I have no idea. They sure. are training set pieces. We get kicked out of training every single time they they do it, but <laughs> I don't know. Doesn't seem to be working right now. Yep, uh, that wasn't good. That's a struggle. That needs to get better. Again, we, we can't say too much about that besides get taller. Atlanta gets taller. Uh, I will say, uh, it's Miles Robinson is, uh, I think one of his biggest weaknesses is, uh, you know, his ability to play balls in the air. Um, just for a center back, I think it could be, he could be stronger. We know offensively, they always talk about that. Oh, Miles Robinson should be scoring more goals on set pieces because he is, you know, big physical presence. I think there's just something about his, you know, just judging the 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 ball in the air. And it's not to say that he's like missing them left and right. He's probably connecting yeah. on, you know, 90% of them. But as a center back, you just, you got to connect on like 100%. <laughs> you got to be pretty perfect. Um, he doesn't necessarily kind of, have an incredible vertical either. He's yeah. very fast, straight line speed and moves well and everything like that. But he's never been someone who explodes upward right in the way that like so I, th- I think walker zimmerman would be a better example of someone who had the the higher vertical center back right um mm-hmm. so i, I know he can dunk a basketball but it's yeah it doesn't seem like, like six, he gets that up three you six know, two you know, you know? On a soccer so, field yeah. yeah early counts yeah early counts um yikes man <laughs> we we were going to spend most of the time talking about how the offense struggled and we <laughs> evolved into a, a 15 minute discussion on the center backs not jumping well, this is I, you know well, let's try well, let's talk about the attack because you know some, something that i mentioned it's part of it didn't catch me by surprise in this game i just feel like whenever you're introducing a, a big player into the starting lineup who has not been participating with the, these other players um it just takes some time I, I mentioned it on the the training ground report that we do on the five strike final Patreon patron ten dollar patrons get it. I think it went out to all patrons this week though. Just said that you know you can't just expect it to be a magical elixir that when you put Luis Araujo back in the team, everything is going to get become perfect all of a sudden. Like it's just going to take these guys some time to figure it out. But you just kind of have to have faith that that's going to happen because he just seemed out of place. I, I just felt like he didn't really have a great idea tactically of you know what was going on basically and um, just kind of looked lost and not like a player who was able to implement or deploy his significant amount of skill that we know he has. He looked lost. He really did. He really did. I don't have his touch numbers in front of me, but I'm sure they were relatively low and and largely in bad positions. You know, he he disappeared at times. I think Ronald Pena tweeted at one point has Luis touched the ball this entire half. And I didn't have an answer, you know, that's a bit concerning. Because there have been moments this year where we have plug players in and you've seen the team mm-hmm. improve, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's strange to think that, okay, now 
perhaps the most talented player on the team is in and it got worse. Yeah. What happened here? I you honestly know, thought, it, it, yeah, no, I thought most of his value was in like defensively, like pressing the ball, helping win the ball back. He was decent yeah. in that. <laughs> but when the team was building up and building up into the final third, it was like kind of similar to the way we've described the play between Almada and Marcelino Moreno for the first portion of the season where mm. they just like didn't really know each other's movements very well. And it just looked kind of just not quick, not fluid, not the way you want to see these players move and rotate. Well, I mean, even talking about Marcy and Almada, that piece was missing. You know, we'd seen them kind of be able to interplay off each other and then that had steadily improved. And you threw Caleb Wiley into the mix on that left side for the last couple of games. And you saw a team generating numbers advantages on the left side, generating a lot of overlapping runs on the left side, generating a lot of one two pass and move moments on the left side. And those outright disappeared. You know, and the mm-hmm. hope was that Louise would be able to potentially fill that Brooks Lennon spot to some extent, or maybe that the balance would get better and we'd start to see some of those overlaps and, and pass and move moments on the right side in addition to the left side. But instead, it just kind of felt like it canceled all of it out, mm, yeah. you know, and that's where I, I wonder, you know, and I think we said this last year, too. I'm losing track of all the years we've said <laughs> certain things about what to do to improve this team. But I wondered out loud last night when I was talking with um, Matt Doyle on the, the MLS After Dark show about this. I wondered if. If this team's most talented 11 is in its best 11. Right. Yeah. You know, and I have that concern still, you know, mm. and frankly, you know, if you're going to bring someone in. Is Matthew Hoppy going to be a winger that helps you balance that out? I don't know. Right? <laughs> yeah, I, I have yeah. so many questions about how to fix this. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of them end up with Marcelino Reno super sub, which I don't like because then he can't charge up his power bar that he, he gets <laughs> right. every time that he does am- a bad That was move. amazing. I've never seen a tweet age better than that one, Sam. That was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I got I to gotta pat myself on the back for that one. I said, y'all are dumb for not knowing Marcy was about to bang a free kick off the crossbar because he had like five <laughs> bad plays before that. Yeah. That's how he feels his power bar, right? Like you've ever played a fighting game. You know, mm. you have to build up your the spe- special. The move. special starts yeah. blinking. Exactly. Yeah, so then he hit L1 and L2 and then he scored a great goal <laughs> yeah. on Montreal. Yeah. Right. He Incredible. did a little like ball roll. Yeah, yeah. it was beautiful. <laughs> <That> was gorgeous. <laughs> uh, but you're right. I, I think the team didn't quite have the same width that it's had when it has Caleb Wiley or, you know, just a, a pure winger out there, especially on that left side, you know, Um or yeah, it just didn't look the same. And I, I agree with you. I do wonder if maybe, yeah, that same thing that you just mentioned. And I think that that happened actually in 2018. Tito, Tito Vialba was not a starter down the stretch of that season. And I think that a lot of people would say he was one of the 11 most talented players. Obviously, if you look at his stats, he's like unreal in, in terms of his production and his MLS career. But for whatever reason, the team... Fit, the, the pieces fit a lot better with him coming on as as a super sub. Uh, and I do wonder if that might be the case. Yeah, here. It, you know, and, and you, all the love in the world to, to Caleb, but it sure would be nice to have. Perhaps a more developed player be that person on the left side, if you were going to go that route, you know, but mm-hmm. he did well and clearly the team was better, you know, and it was, I don't even, I, I started to think, you know, well, maybe it's because 
Montreal went back three and had wing backs, right? And was pinning some of the, the fullbacks back. But it, Cincinnati went back three. You know, you had a little less to worry about because it was Ray Gaddis, who's a million years old, and, and Don Baji, or whoever that is. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, Don Baji on the yeah. left side. Um, yeah. So you didn't have to worry about it as much necessarily, uh, but it's not like Montreal was tr- trotting out incredible wingbacks or anything yesterday. Right. You know? Right. So yeah. it's like, I don't you know, know I, with, with Caleb, like, it's obvious that he's young and, you know, his overall is not as high as like, you know, he's like not as you know good, technically, quote unquote, uh, as other players. But what he does have is a particularly as a particular set of skills, a mm. particular set of skills that allows him to play on the left side and go at fullbacks one on one and get into space and be able to deliver balls into the players who are very, you know, very technically good and can score goals. So um, his profile, I think, is really what Atlanta is missing, which is that player who has speed, who can play wide um, and clearly has a good relationship with Andrew Gutman at this point. I mean, we've seen them have some really nice interplay. I'm interested to see if Caleb Wiley gets any more run. I thought it was interesting that he didn't even come on as a sub in this game. Instead, yeah. it was Jake Mulraney coming on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's definitely something to watch out for and something that I was trying to probe uh, Gonzalo Pineda on this week about just when you insert another attacking midfielder in Luis Araujo, you're just kind of building up the, you know, a lot of players of the same kind of profile who want to play in the same way, who all want the ball at their feet. Um, and I think sometimes you just need those runners. You need certain types of players to balance out others in the, on, in the side. Well, you need someone who can regain the ball in quality positions mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Who in that front four is going to regain the ball in a position that sets Atlanta up to exploit teams with their ability and talent, right? If they got to go 60 yards to get there every time, it's going to be more difficult. You know, I, I watch NYCFC and see not only how talented their attacking midfield core is, along with Tati Castellanos, right? Who's up top and, and pressing an absolute ton, right? Mm-hmm. But they went the ball. They've created a ton of chances over the last few games. They haven't had Maxi Morales, who's been consistently one of the best chance creators in the entire league. And they've been doing it in large part by forcing teams into making bad mistakes, putting them in bad positions, right? And moving quickly in transition moments and putting pressure on teams in tough areas. And at this point, if you have Armada, Marcy, Louise out there, you're going to waltz through that, right? And yeah. it's going to seem kind of easy to handle when, when they're coming at you from a distance, you know? And yeah, I wonder, you know, Caleb's ability to win the ball. If that's just yeah, he's, I mean, wholly he's more valuable defender. than, you know, being better on the ball if you're Marcy mm-hmm. or Tiago or, or Louise, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at this point. And, I, and, I, and that can be a big part of Atlanta United's attack, especially when if you're playing with a player, a striker like Ronaldo Cisneros, you know, one of the things that he's best at that we've seen so far is just chasing down players when the team loses possession and just forcing a, a turnover. And, you know, I thought that Atlanta United was relatively you know good at that in this game. They had nearly 70 percent. Well, they had 70 percent possession at halftime. I think they ended with like 62 I mean, I think they, they did control the game, but they just weren't able to make things happen and really disrupt Montreal defensively at all. And I think that that's the most frustrating part is when you see the team have so much of the ball, but is not able to just really create those. They didn't, you know, they didn't create like one clear cut chance in the entire game. Um, it was just a lot of passing around the edge of the box. There weren't even that many like attempts really to 
try to really penetrate that defense and even get kind of crosses in until the very end. Uh, Like you mentioned, that Jackson Conway chance was one of the best ones of the game. Obviously, that was in the dying minutes while they were just trying to be more direct and go for goal. I just felt like they should have done that and, you know, uh, tried to apply more pressure that way earlier on. But again, you just don't have those kind of profile players out there on the field that yet really kind of, you know, incentivize you to to try to attack Montreal that way. I will say that when I mentioned potentially Atlanta's most talented 11, not being its best 11, Matt Doyle actually got to push back on that a little bit. And just said that there's, you know, there's understandably a pretty good argument for having all that talent on one field because when Atlanta moves the ball through the middle third, it looks great, right? Like they do it with ease. They do Mm -hmm. with ease. Just the, it was that way last year for large chunks, you know, at the end, especially. Mm -hmm where they were getting into the final third, that wasn't the issue, you know, and that talent helps you with that. You just wonder where the clear cut chances that we didn't have yesterday or they didn't have yesterday are going to come. Right. So I don't know. It's a lot of tough questions. It's a lot of difficult challenges for Gonzalo Pineda, who's, you know, still relatively new at this. I'm, I'm fascinated to find out the answers. Yeah, and and I will just kind of say one more thing, I think, before we probably get out of here, which is or before we go on to the the next uh, the second half of the show, which is that, you know, I mentioned earlier, you hope that when with Joseph coming back, whenever he does come back, that you hope that that kind of spurs some turnaround. But with what I saw yesterday, I I don't really see Joseph like actually impacting that game very much. Like Mm -hmm. it just seemed like the whole attack was stagnant in a way that was not really. Um it's not like a different striker would have really made a difference. In fact, Ronaldo Cisneros barely got on the ball in the game his, again, what we talked about earlier, he was almost mostly valuable as a defensive player, um, you know, harassing the opponent when they lost possession as opposed to getting on the ball and getting good shots in the box. So, and that's not this kind of player we've seen Joseph be this year. This year, Joseph has been a player who wants to kind of, again, drop off of the back line and try to like, you know, take touches, a little bit deeper than he normally would, which again, just kind of muddies up the, the water with already. You've got all these attack midfielders who want touches in that same area mm-hmm. as well. So I don't know. It's they, they got to find some solutions to this. Well, let's maybe, maybe hit on a silver lining right quick before we go to the rest of the questions. Franco Barra, Mateus Sassetu in the midfield mm. yesterday. Yeah. I, I think a lot of the Good worries idea were from me in particular kind of feeding people this idea and Gonzo as well because he mentioned how good Montreal's midfield again that's that's Kony Wanyama and George Mihailovic um, is to deal with right it didn't seem like they were really overrun at any point now part of that of course Montreal gets the early goal they they don't have to press too hard at that point right as far as uh, their worry about needing a second goal and everything like that they eventually did but they found it kind of quick once they turned the switch on, you know, and, and maybe mm-hmm. that's concerning, but they did have fresh legs coming in. They did have, you know, a lot of time <laughs> sitting deep to kind of recharge and all of that. Um, so maybe I shouldn't worry too much about that midfield pairing kind of fading towards the end, but overall they outperformed expectations. Does that make them? Yeah. Can you solve the problem by continuing to throw replacement level midfielders is the question I keep asking. <laughs> But they they did a good job this time. Yeah, Abara was good. I, I was I was interested to see how well he was going to play, considering he ha- I think this was his first start in MLS this year. 
maybe, maybe not. But I was interested to see how he was going to play uh, without playing next to Santiago Sosa. Because whenever he has played in the league this season, it's been alongside a more kind of quote unquote pure defensive midfielder, whether that's Ozzy Alonso or, or Sosa. Uh, so that was really good to see. But Mateus was that's who I thought was dominant and probably Atlanta United's best player on the day. Um, he was 90% passing. He had 103 touches, the most of anybody on the field, eight of 11 long balls, spraying those balls out wide and had 15 ball recoveries. That's an incredible number. Usually when you talk about ball recoveries, yeah. When you get talk about ball recoveries, like eight to 10 is, is very good. Like if you get 10, especially that would be like double digit ball recoveries is I would say excellent. 15 is like you you won't have that many times you have a player with 15 ball recoveries in a game in a season. So uh, at least on this team. So um, fantastic day for Mateus Rosetto. He deserves a shout out from me, especially considering that I give him a lot of crap for kind of, you know, not playing with enough bravery or aggression or directness. Um, and, you know, to hit, I, I think to Gonzalo Pineda's credit, he put Mateus Rosetto in a position where, you know, he's got these attacking midfielders in front of him. So he was just doing a lot more of, winning the ball and, pa- and passing it along without requiring a lot of creativity from him. So I think that he was put in a position to succeed as well. I'm having to like triple check a stat right now, but yeah, no, this is right. Last year, Mateus has set to progressive passes among midfielders, 18th percentile this year, Joe Patrick, 75th percentile. Look wow, at, look at our go. boy all growing up and passing the ball forward. <laughs> I'm really proud of him. <laughs> His numbers look pretty okay, to be totally honest, as yeah. far as passing and everything like that. Uh, he's not creating any chances or anything like that, but if he can be the guy before the chance and continue to, to play progressive passes, right. then that's a great role to fill, right? So mm-hmm. that's good news. Yep, exactly. That's good news. See, we found so, something. Yeah, we shout out it. to those center mid- central midfielders. They were, they were good. Yeah, that was we a bright spot for sure. We did it. Uh, real quick, before we get to the questions, because I don't think there's a question about this, but I wanted to ask you about it because... The internet is making fun of us again. <laughs> not me and you. Oh, no. Not me, Atlanta, okay. United Whew. in general. Um, okay. Tiago Mata, we're 529 minutes into the, the Atlanta United debut for the most expensive player in MLS history. <laughs> Just going to let that hang for a second. <laughs> One goal, no assist so far for Tiago. Um, numbers look pretty okay. The underlying numbers are fine. Uh, non-penalty XG 1.5, expected assists 1.3. So that's 2.8. That puts them right. That's not average or below average. It's not top tier by any stretch. Uh, mm-hmm. What do we make of Tiago so far? Seven games in. I think as of like three or four games ago that it's very evident that Tiago Amada is the best player on the field just in terms of his technical ability. He had a dribble in that game that spurred me to just send off a tweet that like there's levels to this game because he absolutely abused somebody just with like the little left, right, just go skirt right around somebody in like a split second, just an incredible bit of skill. Um, I think a lot of the production that's lacking right now is more tactical. Um, I don't, I don't think it's really a, a technical issue for him. I think it's more just, Again, yeah, gelling with teammates and uh, he should have more production based on his skill, I will say. Um, so I don't know. It'll, I, I don't know if that'll turn around or not, but uh, I, I don't have any doubts about how 
about his quality when he's on the ball, I guess I should say. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I do think that number should be higher. I, I think a lot of that is mm-hmm. on his teammates, maybe not him. I, I'm kind of looking at it now. And his non-penalty XG plus XA per 90 puts him right below George Mihailovic and Romel Kyoto, which is fun to think about, hmm. right? But it's also <laughs> yeah. like, it's kind of funny. I think that's the best on the team, non-penalty wise. And you have two players on CF Montreal who are, are, are better than that right now, right? Um, that's maybe not where you want to be if you're Atlanta United and maybe yeah. not where you necessarily want to be is the most expensive player in MLS history when you kind of look around and see the production that other teams are getting from Sebastian Ferreira scored for Houston yesterday. Uh, Alan Velasco scored for FC Dallas. Uh, Taxi Fontas for DC last weekend had two goals and assist. He's outpacing Almada after one game at that point, right? Um, you you want to mm-hmm. see, I guess, that final product come up a little bit, but I, I think the talent's clearly there. I just... I worry, I guess, if the numbers are going to catch up to that, especially with that price tag. And we're going to be having similar discussions to Barco. Yeah, I mean, it definitely wasn't perfect yesterday. He he, de- he definitely was a, a, attempted a couple balls, um, you know, trying to make kind of the final pass into the box that didn't come off and lost the ball once or twice. Uh, but just in general, when I think about his play, I, I just think that he's quality. Maybe it'd be worth, you know, digging into his, you know, highlights again like you did for dc because that was another game where i think people were kind of like you know questioning how good was Mm -hmm. he actually in the game and then you know the 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 highlights really were for sure it was all all the all the clips you know we're we're definitely still very good always kind of look great right um, that's kind of the trap we kind of maybe fall into yeah exactly it's like um, I, I will say maybe I mean maybe it'd be worth breaking down the the like the, I don't know if you can find if you can sort his passes by like incomplete yeah, passes maybe. in the final third or like di- like times he lost the ball. Um, maybe it would be interesting to to dig into those Which to is, see, I mean, you know, just how bad were they. But at some point, you want actual output from your sixty million dollar player. I, no I doubt, did, no doubt. I took the per ninety out yeah. of it, by the way, and just did non penalty xg plus xj xa. And this sounds a little more right i guess when we get down to it he's right in between kevin cabral plays for la and facundo torres who's the new signing for orlando city uh i think facundo yeah facundo has two goals and two assists at this point um so uh that's not great either that orlando city is this new signing is outpacing your 16 million dollar signing when it comes to that um so uh (laughs) some things to just kind of wonder about there i just wanted to put it out there i'm not saying anything necessarily either way i will say his defensive stats are hilariously terrible like we can't keep doing this uh everybody (laughs) but everything else looks slightly above average i mean it's i mean it's worth discussing the lack of production just because it is one of those things that you know if it hangs over you can again kind of like with the team overall can just kind of and the internet's going to talk about it i want you dear dear reader to be prepared right exactly always that's the main goal of this show Uh, The main goal right now, though, Joe Patrick, is to take a quick break. (laughs) 
What a refreshing break that was. And before we get into your questions in the second half of the show, we, of course, need to give a shout out to our presenting partner of Five Stripe Final. That is Lucid FC, Lucid Footwear and Clothing. You can find them online at lucidfc.us. The Lucid FC sock collection is now online. Socks knitted in America with American cotton domestic manufacturing and proudly affordable Socks individually made with care, individually made socks. That's always important. Lucid FC, sh- they have a shop in Buckhead because it is a local establishment owned by local people. Uh, it's open by appointment and walk-ins from 1 to 8 p.m. daily. It's behind the Buckhead Whole Foods at 3209 Paces Ferry Place. Again, you can find them online at lucidfc.us. They've got a ton more out there other than socks. They've all got all kinds of different fashion collections and obviously everything from hats to well socks and everything in between so check out everything they've got on offer and make sure that you use dss as your promo code at checkout for free shipping within the united states all season long against that's dss as your promo code for free shipping and once again we thank lucid fc for being the presenting partner of five stripe final all right joe patrick excellent break great job great work Shout out Lucid. I was looking at some numbers during that, and I'm pretty confused. I'm not gonna hmm. lie. About what? Just decided to look, just decided to look at the runs that Lane United was making mm-hmm. yesterday. And it turns out that yesterday Lane United made more runs in any game so far this year by a considerable margin. Right? And that confused me <laughs> immensely. <laughs> um like 18 more runs than the next highest which was the skc wow. game um so i decided to tweak a little bit of that right and wanted to look at runs that challenged the back line mm-hmm. right um and it starts to level out a little bit right mm-hmm. but it's still pretty in line with uh what they did against miami mm. and cincinnati it's lower right it's not great and then if i change that to runs that challenge the back line and end in the box, right? So, uh, you know, players moving and, and getting into the box uh, and making an effort to disrupt the, the defense, right? Uh, it ends up with, they had like six yesterday is what it looks like. They had seven against Miami and 10 against Cincinnati who had 10 men for a chunk of that game. So it seemed like the framework was there to some extent. Mm-hmm. And, and we caught this a couple of times. Like there was a moment and someone has this screenshot. I'm at Randall Pena who has this screenshot of Tiago Amada having Three players essentially making runs into the channels. Was, with I think that was Luis Araujo on the ball there, I th- or maybe okay. it was Almada. It was one of them. But yeah, that there were and there mm-hmm. were a couple moments like that. That wasn't the only one. There were there were a couple like that, and there was there was definitely one that was Almada. That's what I was thinking of earlier, where I was saying that Almada uh, wasn't perfect and definitely had some opportunities to put the ball in where he didn't. And yeah, I mean, I think that that was kind of that freeze frame from um, from Ronald was. Uh, mm-hmm very pertinent to Atlanta's struggles for sure. So it seemed like part of the framework was at least still there. So maybe that's another encouraging thing we can take from this. Just the answers. They were, they were scared to find the answers <laughs> yesterday, I think is what happened. Um, so just a quick, interesting note there. That, that's all I want to point out. I'll get into that more. I think in the on review segment on the Patreon, patreoncom slash five, five final. We'll look over some video, grind some tape with me, guys. Come on in, come on in. Uh, come on in, C Black, who has our first question of the question segment. It's going to be maybe a long one, potentially, and kind of a, a dour one. No rapid fire today, just pure, straight questioning. 
We'll start with this because I think it kind of frames things up. On a scale of one to 10, where are you on the panic meter, Joe Patrick? Mm. And I think this is interesting because we have to define like right. what, what is, yeah. actually is. What is panic in this case? Because I am teetering towards a higher apathy number than, than panic number because it's kind of been this for two years <laughs> to yeah. some extent. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, makes sense. I mean, I would the number that came to my head was a five, um, a five being moderately panicked, like <laughs> um, <laughs> not five being like uh, in the middle. Um, like I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm moderately panicked and it's, it's less, it's not so much about the performances that we've seen these last few weeks or even the results. It's, it's some of that combined with, the other things that have happened this season with Brad Guzan going down for the year, Ozzy Alonso going out for the year and Joseph Martinez with a knee injury that we hope he comes back from, but nobody is really sure whether he's going to be the same Joseph Martinez again. Um, I hope to God that he is, but uh, there, those are leave three huge holes that this team thought they would have had filled coming into the year. So for those reasons, more so than what we've seen on the field these last couple of weeks, I'm I'm moderately panicked. So I'll give it a five. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I, I think I'm just kind of maybe slightly accepting that this team is just kind of mid and kind of average. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the, the expected goal difference right now per FB ref is zero point seven. Like they're yeah. just like they definitely right are average right now. Center. Like right now, they definitely are a are, are an average team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with Joseph Hurt and uh Maybe probably, like I said, not being Joseph again and the roster construction that I have concerns about. I I wonder if this is just the team. I do. I wonder that at the beginning of the last year and it was kind of right and then mm-hmm. ended up not being so right towards the end of the year, mm-hmm. but still pretty right. I'm still kind of there at this point, but maybe some changes happen. Maybe some moves need to happen. I'm kind of teetering towards that which is a whole another like hour long show we could talk about <laughs> like a potential summer transfer window. That's very busy yeah. for Atlanta United, which yeah. I could theoretically see even if busy just means like showing someone the Marcelino Marino highlight tape <laughs> and selling him <laughs> for like 10 to 15 million. Um, like which, sending out demo reels. Check yes, out my exactly. demo. Check out Marcelino exactly, Marino. Extremely auto-tuned demo reels. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. With yeah. Marcy. For sure. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Right now, I don't feel great. Yeah, I don't feel great. Well, I I, I think this plays well right in going into this this next question from um, I never know how to pronounce this. Never one. know. I always just say no. blue guy, blue guy, blue guy um, from the following categories. Which would you consider to be the biggest reasons for why Atlanta United can't win at the moment? Talent, roster construction, coaching, tactics, health, cohesion, consistency, lack of dudes. Attractiveness quotient, luck, karma. There was a nice joke in there, blue guy. Kudos to you for the attractiveness quotient. Um, <laughs> Some of these are just the same thing. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> um, so, I mean, look, look let, let's pick like, can we pick like a top three? Oh, yeah, 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 sure. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's pick our pick three from, from this group. Pick three. <laughs> I've already I just uh, kind of I just kind of gave my health spiel uh, in the last question. So that's obviously one for me. I do think roster construction is an issue for this team. And I was not so much on the roster construction critical side uh, coming into the year. Um, 
maybe the 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 injuries do now have me thinking differently about the the roster construction just because you know when you lose a player for the year you obviously have a hole there um in your roster but just like yeah that uh, i hate to bash marcelino moreno and i don't mean for it to be a bashing but it's just like the style of player that he is seems to not fit very well with some of the other players which we've kind of we talk about seemingly on every show um and you know when he was signed this club was really in a in dire straits like they just needed something and they got marcelino moreno which i guess makes sense at the time because you just needed an injection of somebody who was going to make something happen but now that you're past all of those that kind of disaster scenario you were in in 2020 um he just stands out as a player who just doesn't really fit in very well with the rest of what's being built so I would definitely throw roster construction in. And then I would say uh, luck was is, would probably be the third thing they've lost when they've had the better expected goals uh, on a couple of occasions. Yeah. Then again, I look at that XGD and go, oh, it's, it's like that's zero. true. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. Right to me. Um, roster construction is definitely my biggest, you know, and I think you can see it when you put in a left sided player like Caleb Wiley and everything gets better. Right. And everything starts to make a little more sense because the the balance is there Mm -hmm. in that way. It's weird to look across at like CF Montreal who panic hired, not panic hired, but like had to resort to hiring Wilfred Nance Mm -hmm. after Thierry Henry left. Right. Uh, Suddenly, very quickly, (laughs) then then all of a sudden, (laughs) CF Montreal is just in Florida and Wilfred Nance is in charge (laughs) and they just have to make decisions at that point. And that team ended up not only being good, but seeming to follow a path that Nase wanted them to be on, mm-hmm. right? To, to have a, a set and defined idea of what the team wanted they to be. Ha- they have and an identity for sure. Yeah. Exactly. And this offseason, they went out and made that better because they saw a weakness at wing back and they went out and got Alistair Johnston, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they made those moves. And, you know, it's. Is there like a Manchester United comparison somewhere in here? I don't really <laughs> watch them because I hate them. Uh, to the extent of like where the roster building just kind of becomes like, oh, these guys look great yeah. on a spreadsheet. Yeah. You know, but lacks the clear identity of, of what this team wants to be. To be fair, I guess <laughs> there have been three separate head coaches in the last like what? Yeah. Three years. True. You know, true. Which, which makes that difficult. But at the same time, you would hope that. Um, we'd be building somewhere towards that, which kind of gets back to my thing about like, what if the summer window is interesting? Cause it could be, yeah. it might need to be. It would be fun if it was, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Think you know, of the content. I, mean, I feel for our team, but. <laughs> <laughs> the front office is definitely, you know, they've, they've had some hit and misses. So let's talk about, so I'm just going to throw some names out there. Luis Araujo is a player who we thought was like, a, what the hell? Like, who is this guy? Uh, we thought Basically they were like getting some the, other the Brazilian guy. Choice. Yeah, we yeah. thought they were getting some other Brazilian guy. Turns out they get Luis Araujo. And then he comes in last year and looks freaking phenomenal and looks like he has the talent to win MVP. And it's like, oh, OK, yeah, great signing. <laughs> great signing front yeah. office. Um, but then obviously you have the issues like I kind of just discussed with Marcelino Moreno. You also have, you know, um, <laughs> A very interesting player on this squad is Alan Franco, and it's easy to forget that he was like the third choice 
center back to be brought in. They obviously went after David mm-hmm. Martinez, who opted to go to River Plate. There was another uh, Latoro oh, Giannetti. Giannetti. I don't know why that name sticks in my mind. Latoro Giannetti, uh, who yeah. unfortunately in a great call, yeah, yeah, did just tear that ACL, um, which you hate to see. Or it was already torn or something. I don't know. But um, so that was a whole thing. So then, yeah, so there was kind of a last minute get Alan Franco in. And that also seemed to be a signing that was like specifically made for the manager at the time, Gabriel Heinze, who seemed like dead set on needing his own center back, you know, that he could trust. Um, now, I'm not so sure that if you were going to go out and get a center back, maybe that you would get. Alan Franco uh, with just like with his skill set. Obviously, we've seen how this team has struggled aerially, and that's obviously not his strong suit as a center back. So you wonder about that one. And I, those those are some that, that stick out in my mind as kind of being the biggest question marks right now. And, and, and you got to identify players who are like supposed to be big pieces of this team, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Didn't, you know, I, I talk about a potentially big summer, but the problem they kind of keep running into is that it's hard to sell players when they're not playing well. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's not quite as simple as just shipping them off. Yeah. I mean, they haven't even technically sold Ezekiel Barco yet. He's on loan. So, right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough market right now. It's tough. It's tough. And, uh, man, I, I want there to be a shakeup. I think this team needs a shakeup, but, the process of that is much more difficult than some dude with a podcast yelling into a microphone. <laughs> so we'll see if it happens. We'll I, see if it happens. I, not I, that this team is necessarily bad. I just think they're average and I'm yeah. not sure the ceiling is that high. Yeah. Right now. Anyway, right now I was going to ask you a follow up question, but we've got plenty of questions to get to. So we've got enough here. Okay. Uh, World series. Well, if it's follow up, let's well, go ahead. Okay. So, okay. So I'll ask you. So uh, we Marcelino Moreno, let's say that you do sell him this summer. Who do you buy? Like, who are you buying? Like, what what position? What's a position of need right now? Are you going after a striker? I mean, um, I'm kind of spitballing this because I hadn't really considered. It. I haven't put a ton of thought into it uh, at this moment. Do you go after a pure winger? Maybe that's the move. I think that's the move, and I think that's been the move for me for for a while. Winger, yeah. right? Yeah, like not to like <laughs> judge anything up, but I think we were talking with Felipe about a position of need. Um, Last, or in the off season, right? And um, you guys kind of both ended at winger being like an op- option for like U22. And I, I was kind of like, nah, nah, I think it's midfield and all that kind of thing. But I, th- I think y'all were possibly onto something more than maybe we even realized at that point, which is that adding another talented winger in a similar vein that, you know, we, we've seen NYCFC do over the last little bit could be very beneficial to this mm-hmm. team and just sort the balance out, right? There are yeah. a few pieces I would fix potentially, but I think if I like the hierarchy them, it would be kind of a pure winger who can contribute to pressing and, and do other things, right? Um, while making those runs in behind. And a midfielder who's a little better than a replacement level, which it kind of seems like the rest of these guys are. Right if you could just combine every single midfielder on Atlanta United's team, you would have like the perfect midfielder. Yes. But it's like every single we, one of them has like a particular <laughs> skill set. We can make the Atlanta United midfield Voltron. <laughs> yeah. They'd be incredible. You know, yeah. uh, best 11 in the world player, but oh well. I do Oops. wonder how Emerson Hyman fits into all of this that we've talked about um, on this podcast whenever That's he true. gets healthy. It'll be interesting. 
Uh, all right, we'll move on to this question from World Series champ Nick. It says, in nine games, we've rolled out nine very different lineups. I did not know that before this question. Uh, we're going to assume you're right, Nick. No it was pressure. mentioned on the broadcast. Yeah, it was good okay. uh, research from good pull, Kevin Egan. Oh, Kevin Egan. Never mind. Um, it says, uh, but yeah, I still feel like we should just be sigh. I love Nick's sighs and like huffs <laughs> and all those questions. I feel like we should just be better. <laughs> just seems like a mediocre team with extra steps. I love that last part, Nick, because that's exactly how I feel right now. It's mediocre with extra steps right now. And that, that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, but, but the real kind of meat of that is the nine different lineups yeah. at this point yeah. right and you would love to see some kind of consistency with that i think and that could play into something that blue guy was asking about which is just the general cohesion and maybe could down the line make me look really stupid for all my complaining when they do actually get a set lineup and start playing uh, I'm, I'm, with some yeah. cohesion. yeah i'm sure that will happen to us um but yeah i mean i agree i don't really know what else to say Yes, I feel like this team should be better. I think it will be better. Um, again, they've I, I, they've played well. They have not gotten the results, so I have to have faith that those results are going to turn around. But I mean, it does. They are they are a mediocre team right now. They don't just seem like a mediocre team. With a, I mean, that, Nick, you identified that perfectly. That's what they are right now. You just have to hope they improve with extra steps. Don't with extra, the steps. extra steps. Yeah. If one more y'all post the god dang transfer market values, I'm going to throw something, by the way. <laughs> Stop using that to represent how bad this is. <laughs> we know how bad it is. We watch it. We don't need the transfer market values. Uh, speaking of transfer markets, Total <laughs> Football has a question for us. He's going to love that. Uh, it says, I haven't watched yet, but I noticed Pineda talk about them dominating the game and that they should have won. Is that right? Or have we reached the moment with the coach of a struggling team where we can expect to disagree with him about whether the team is playing well or not? He's kind of sub-talking someone there. He's sub-talking Caleb Porter, who's famous for this, uh, mm-hmm. for saying that Columbus, you know, played well on the day when they like lost the XGE and, and lost the game and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I can understand a worry about Pineda potentially turning into that, but I do want to read that full quote that he's referring to. Pineda says, I think there is some frustration, obviously, because of the result but also because I don't think the performance of the team was one that deserved to lose the game. I think that we certainly dominated the game. We certainly were in control of the game, but we couldn't finalize a good result due to the lack of final product in both boxes. I think that we need to do better in the very limited times that the opposition is in our box. We need to do much better. And the many times we are around the box, we need to create more. So I think that's going to be the emphasis this week before preparing for Chicago, but we're disappointed for giving away a game that, again, I think we should have won. Uh, I think when he means says dominated there, I, I think we're referring to essentially just possession. You know, I, I don't necessarily want to believe that he was saying that, you know, that they dominated the game outright in the sense that like clear cut chances are being created and they would have won 99% of the time because that's absolutely not the case. But mm-hmm. they did have a lot of the ball at the very least. Yeah, I mean, Atlanta United had 242 passes in Montreal's half of the field. Montreal had 323 in the entire game for themselves. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I think that's what he's talking about. They, they had a lot of the ball, you know, in Montreal's half and they did play well through those through those phases of the game. I mean, I think that Gonzalo Pineda says it right there, which is that they did dominate the game and they did 
not do what they were supposed to do in both boxes. And that right. equates <laughs> to a loss. <laughs> um, I yeah, so I agree with them there. It, you know, it's funny. This question gets brought up because I I still kind of thought that he was given a little bit of coach speak in the game against Cincinnati where they did dominate uh, in the expected goals, but I didn't feel like they actually created the chances that the, the expected goal number that he was referencing after that game um, would indicate. I went through it in the podcast that we did afterwards, but it was just like the expected goals were created by the penalty, the kick that happened right before the penalty. And then like a couple right headers, like right at the end of the game or chances right at the end of the game. So mm-hmm. um, I think there, he definitely has. I, so I say that to say that I think Pineda does have a, uh, you know, a propensity to, you know, try to err on the side of like, you know, not uh, trashing his team in the media by like saying they were crap or whatever. Um, so that is something to watch out for, for sure. But I didn't, I thought in this game they they played relatively well. Yeah, no, completely agree. I do have to laugh though, that Chicago is up next because playing Chicago right now is a hilarious slog <laughs> yeah, towards yeah. complete emptiness. They, they don't try to do anything, but keep you from scoring. So prepare to be frustrated next week, folks. I'm, uh, I'm also interested to know Teodal's f- thoughts about it after he does watch the game to see whether he disagrees or disagrees. Go to football. Come on the show. Ralph. Oh asked, yeah. We should have one. Revisiting an oldie. Patreon.com. Ralph asked, revisiting an oldie, but a goodie. We are more than a quarter of the way through the MLS season. Should we adjust our expectations as to where we will finish in the table? I said at the beginning of the year, the expectation was a home playoff game. I think right now that feels like the ceiling at best. Um, yeah, again, there's so much that ha- still has to happen. We talk about hopefully having like an active summer transfer window per, you know, secondary transfer window. Um, if that happens, you know, maybe then we readjust again. But as of right now, yeah, I mean, I think you're probably right. Like that, um, you know, if you you'd probably feel pretty happy if you get a home playoff game at this point. Um, I, I, mean, I can't make any predictions for what actually happens in the playoffs because you have to know like what, what form the team is when you get there and all that stuff. Uh, I would say as if it like if the playoffs were to start right now, I would not like really anticipate them doing great in the MLS <laughs> Cup playoffs, even if you did have a home game for, you know, some of the many of the reasons we've talked about on the show. So um, let me rephrase that right quick. Yeah. Over under three and a half wins against playoff teams this year. Mm, I'd say over that. I'd say okay. over that. Okay. I, th- I think they'll get over that. Yeah. Um. But I mean, yeah, as for adjusting expectation, I guess that all depends on what your expectations are. Right. And I think okay. that, again, to point back to those injuries, I think that it's hard not to adjust how you think about this team when you think about it without Bregazan, without Ozzy Alonso. Well, are they going to help that much? The leadership. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Touche. Oh, they would have helped a little. Don't get me wrong. I will say, you know, with 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 Bobby Bobby Shuttleworth, you know, he hasn't really made a kind save. of confidence. Yeah, <laughs> in like that two is games. something we haven't discussed because we kind of feel bad about it. I it's think. really hard to judge goalkeepers, especially over like situation. two games. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's not I don't know. been phenomenal. I wouldn't say. 
for sure. Yeah. It's not even like there's never been a point where like, whoa, great save, Bobby. Yeah. Because that's how everybody responds when Bobby yeah. shut up. <laughs> they throw their popcorn up. It's going to be a seven hour episode. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my. Um, OK, let's go. Let's go. Let's roll. Um, this is going to be a long question. Cool. Mike B from the New York Times. <laughs> Whatever. Says, I am seeing people say, when does Pineda get on the hot seat? I did see the sentiment a couple of times from folks, which is bizarre to me. We can talk about that in a little bit. That is um, crazy. I think you should have hot seat immunity until whoever keeps spamming our final third with next Almiron potential profit, question mark, question mark, question mark signings. Doesn't have a job anywhere this side of the Mississippi. Am I wrong? Should Pineda be responsible for having to Frankenstein a roster around three of the same players? Is Well, the, the last part's just kind of mean. Um, so I'm not going to read it, but uh, Jacob also asked, we can, we can throw this in. Jacob asked, does this get turned around with the current front office? Uh, I think there are reasons for frustration and I think people are frustrated question. and I think there, sure. are, there are valid questions to, to ask there. One, I'll start right off and say anyone saying Pineda on the hot seat, that feels. That's crazy. That seems insane to me. Unless if you're a masochist, then you could fire Gonzalo Pineda. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you just want this team to keep struggling. Can you imagine doing another coaching search and having to, to redirect things? And again, that, that makes it tough for the front office as well. That adds another degree of difficulty. And if we're already, if people are saying that like the front office is, is bad at this, ramping up the difficulty level isn't going to make them better all right. of a sudden yeah, no doubt. at this, yeah. you know? And so, I think like I think Gonzalo Pineda has been really excellent as Atlanta United's coach. There's a, it was a big job. There's a lot to turn around with the state of things post Gabriel Heinze, you know? So, um, and he talks about it a lot. It's not just about the tactics in a given game or the tactics on the field in general. It's, it stretches all the way down to just like creating that culture, that vibe at the training ground where players actually want to be there and like want to do extra work and like want to watch video and want to eat their meals there and like want to hang around their teammates and stuff like that. Like that is really also a huge part of this job that Pineda is working on. And I think he's doing a, doing a good job in that respect. Yeah. You got to have a long-term, you know, mindset with the coach. For sure. And again, that makes the front office his job theoretically easier, right? Because you have a, a plan and you have a style in theory, right? That you can build around, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, to Jacob's point, does this get turned out the current front office? I think that question's fair. I don't know if I have the answer. Yes or yeah. no, either way right now. Again, I'm, I'm increasingly interested in what happens over the, the secondary window. I really am. It's fair to it's fair to have doubts about the front office, like and and that's also not to say that like everything the front office has done has been terrible. You know, it's like it's people want to craft like really um, simple narratives about the front office. I feel like um, <laughs> for for a lot of different reasons. I think, yeah. Like, let me just say, like I, I think Carlos Bocanegra for for an everyman uh, is like kind of easy to poke and prod and like kind of make fun of because he's like got everything <laughs> you don't going feel for bad him. about it because he's got everything else going <laughs> yeah, for him right yeah, yeah exactly yeah so um people don't feel bad about about that and kind of it makes him a target to an extent as well as some of the poor signings that have been made so that plays into it of course um but there's also been good signings you know Luis Araujo I think it was a good signing we there's many good signings um I yeah. still think Tiago Amada was a was a good signing although the jury's still out on that so um there's been good things that have happened as well, but there's certainly, you know, reason to be skeptical about potential moves to be made. 
for sure. For sure. And we're a quarter of the way in the season. I say that most of the time is like, oh God, we're a quarter of the way in the season. Everything's broken, but we're also just a quarter of the way in the season. <laughs> I think we can withhold mm-hmm. judgment until, until the end of the year on a lot of this. Um, hey, coach says, will we make any move of significance by the transfer deadline? This transfer deadline? Uh, this transfer deadline, no. Is, is on Wednesday. So <laughs> I would be a little surprised, but maybe maybe they pull Hoppy out of nowhere. Maybe something like that happens, but I'd be very surprised, I think. Yeah, uh, I, was I would by, be surprised by this window. Um, yeah. Logan, the Shogun asks, is this going to be another campaign where the first game of the season was the best game? Uh, he's referring to the CCL opener for last year. Uh, no, I think this is going to improve in some respects. And I think like in, in some ways, well, that sounds stupid. Now, I, I was about to say the words in some ways the draw against the Cincinnati and Cincinnati was 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 good, uh, <laughs> which I guess is like true from an underlying number sense, but sounds like moon man talk when I say it out loud. <laughs> So going to refrain from that, I guess. Um, I think there will be a better game than the Sporting Kansas City game. I think there will no, be that somewhere yeah, down the road. No doubt. Uh, Atlanta United has played with Luis Araujo in, in MLS for like 120 minutes or so. I don't know how many minutes he has, but it's hardly been any time. Joseph Martinez is missing right now. There will be better games. Now, will that, will that better game come against a team that's actually good at soccer? And will be consistent right now. Yeah. And will be yeah. consistent. Doubtful of that right now. But there will be a better game, I think. Yeah. Almost positive. Logan Harris says regarding the suboptimal finishing, is there any perspective y'all can give us on the quality of chances created by the team? Already kind of mentioned, I think there's six in the West and expected goals four. Um, I can pull up average shot quality real quick if we wanted to do that. Mm. Right quick. Joe, Vamp, yeah. what do you think of the chances so far? Well, um, you know, they <laughs> I, get, I, I would point out, I guess this is not necessarily about the quality of chances. I was going to say that it's more about the defense. The open the open play chances were relatively even. Um, you could say uh, I pulled up average shot quality. They're 12. This is the most mediocre. 12. Yeah, that's, that's why we can't have a take on it. It's like <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it's medium, medium. expected goals 0.95 expected goals on target so like the finishing was average pretty much what you would expect cool yeah uh well he does kind of add to this and i i like this point a lot for example brooks is super high in chances created which is awesome but these rarely feel like all more grassle chances Mm, created for some reason and that's a good point and i went crazy in the discord a couple weeks ago i think like pulling all of brooks's numbers which are obsolete now but um so many of them coming from distance i was interested i was looking at the the total crossing distance uh for players who were playing a high number of crosses in the league and brooks's crossing distance was way higher than a lot of players which was interesting he's crossing from not only further back but he's clearly doesn't have the ball playing skills of some like gressel who uh he does cross further back but plays a better ball right so that mm-hmm. was interesting to me just the positions he was getting in he's not necessarily getting in this primary assist zones as much as he should be and making things happen when he gets in those primary assist zones which we've seen the last few games mm-hmm. um but when he does get there his chances created and his expected assist numbers do go up so even if he's not the best yeah. ball player when he gets in the better positions things go up for him it's, it's sometimes it's that simple those have to be better and- is it just me? But when, when we when you look at the other side of the field on the left side, we've talked a lot about Caleb Wiley on this pod on this episode. Doesn't it seem like whenever he makes something happen on that side, it it, it just, just seems like it turns into like a better, more dangerous chance. 
Because he's attacking space, he's attacking yeah. the inline, yeah. and he's getting to the primary assist zones in a way that Brooks he, can't do off the dribble. Exactly. Yep. He's he's getting into those closer positions that makes it much more difficult to defend. That has to be better. That has to be better. Yep. And if we know that, they know that. But again, right? Caleb is usually Caleb is usually playing in a left wing position where he's got a left back behind him. And Brooks Lennon is playing right back. And so I think that he's hesitant to get mm-hmm. into some of those positions and get too far forward, knowing that right. he's also kind of supposed to be the one who's tracking the, the winger back. And the plan had been to, to switch play, right, and switch the field and, and get Brooks in those positions through those kind of long diagonals and the switches and everything like that. And the problem was he wasn't, for me, playing those balls quickly enough. He was mm-hmm. too often uh, putting them at a bad height, which is something dumb and pedantic, but like, you know, you, you kind of want to see when you watch Manchester yeah, City accur- play accuracy. out of those, yeah. those uh, primary assist zones, they usually aren't lofting the ball up, right? They're, right. they're drilling the ball low and, and causing right. issues for the back line. Especially when you have a super short team and like not a physical front exactly. line, you know? Exactly. So there are things that can be improved on in that regard for sure. ATL Greg one says, how do we get even more people in that small little space that Cisneros Moreno <laughs> And Almada are all occupying. Uh, he posted the pass chart or the average position chart as well from the Montreal game. And I think it does kind of illustrate that the rotations we saw and the overlapping runs that we saw in the last couple games weren't there in this one because he kind of didn't have that extra body. So that when they were occupying the similar spaces, there was nowhere else to go with it. There was no other outlet. There was no numbers advantage on the left side mm-hmm. like they were getting in the past. Um, so as much of a bit as that is, which it's a pretty good bit, um, you know, that there was a reason for it yesterday, I think. And it's, it's simply that they didn't have the same outlets they had in the last couple of games. Yep. Totally agree. Nothing Jonathan, else to add, really. Jonathan asked, since we need goals and he had success at Vela's there, what about putting Almada up top? He's valuable in the middle. Sure. But what's more valuable than goals? I'm interested in this as well. This is something we mentioned at the beginning of the, the Josephine, whatever's going on with him, right? Where he's not in the lineup. Amada did play false nine at one point, right? Yeah. I'm not um, saying you have to change it up completely to to build it around a false nine Amada, but it could be fun. I'm I'm a little surprised they haven't at this point yet because it is something that they touted kind of, uh, oh. when he was signed. The fact that he was versatile enough and could play striker. So for that reason, I kind of thought that maybe he would get a shot, and he certainly does make the runs. You know, um, mm-hmm. he he makes a lot of forward runs, so. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't know why they haven't done that. I guess I guess they just it's just because they value him and what he can do in other roles. I right. mean, clearly that's the reason why. Well, you would get I mean, theoretically, if you did this, Wiley on the left, Eruju on the right, Almada central, and then the midfield three of, of Marcy, Hosetu, Sosa, Baro, whoever you're throwing out there, mm-hmm. right? That does kind of mm-hmm. get all those guys on the field. Mm-hmm. None of them are yeah. strikers, but yeah. you might get some decent chances out of it and, and finishing does eventually regress. It's not like Ronaldo Cisneros has shown us that he can really actually finish. Is that really much worse? Yeah. That could be me playing FIFA, but I just want to see it. it that is the FIFA lineup. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, the, the Cisneros is, he's, he's still valuable. Like he's, he's a pair of legs. He's still running. <laughs> like, he's yeah. always running. He gives you good work rate up there, which is valuable as, as a striker. So I think it's just that Pineda values um, Almada's skill set in a, to help the team in a different area. But I am also surprised to Jonathan's point that we haven't seen a, him experiment with that yet. 
Uh, Pierce asks, is the lack of final pass something the team can obtain through games, or are these just who these players are? Uh, that's a good question. I think we've talked about that a lot. I think it might be who these players are in this particular setup right now. And I think that can be improved with a little more balance. That's my take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's both. I think it's both. You have the players have natural tendencies and uh, it's the coach's job to either take those tendencies and put them in a place where those tendencies uh, can help the team or, you know, try to coach them to have different tendencies. And in this case, you know, obviously they need more production, more more passes into the final third. And just, you know, you talk we always talk about the runs. This the runs do seem to be getting there. And I think that that's good evidence that um some of the training that they're working on is coming into effect, that they are getting forward more than they were. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I think some of it's kind of luck too, sometimes. Like you just have to kind of um in terms of like, you know, whether a ball gets cut out or not. Yeah. You need a larger sample size. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, one last question here. On what was a far too long show. Alan Frackno we're, asked. We're going the full 90. What, what kind of ritual do we have to do to break the curse? I think it's a summoning ritual. I think you have to, to gather everything you can together. Make a small altar. And bring forth the one guy who can solve all of this. Do what you can. Do whatever chance you have to find. Look into whatever the Enchiridion tells you to do, and bring back Chris McCann. <laughs> yeah, the missing Chris link McCann. to all of this, right? Yeah. Um, all right. That was a long Dansby episode. Swanson burn state Sage. Maybe they could get him. That's true. Yeah. Get at us, Dansby. Get at us, uh, Joe Patrick. Anything we want to add? So it was a pretty long episode. Thanks to everyone who stayed through it. That's what I was going to say. Just thanks to everybody who who listened again this week. We just, I we really appreciate everybody who listens to the show. It's uh, really fun to do for all of you guys. And um, yeah, just enjoy doing it. Thank you guys for, for listening and participating with all the questions. It's great to hear from you. We love you. Bye. tuning in everyone to this completely arbitrary internet content piece.